We're looking these Sunday mornings uh, through the book of Philippians, which is a letter that's written to uh, the people of Philippi in modern-day Greece by the Apostle Paul. Um, Sometimes books in the Bible, the letters, they're named after the person that writes them. Sometimes they're named after the person that they're written to. So the Philippians, the book of Philippians is a letter to the Philippians by the Apostle Paul from Rome. And I'm going to read to you uh, Philippians chapter 3. Um, we're going to read chapter, uh, verses 12 to 21. I want to talk about heaven being our home today, pressing towards the goal. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, 20, uh, 12 to 21. Not that I have already obtained all this, uh, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Last week we talked about um, Paul writing to the Philippians and kind of doing a profit and loss account. And um, he he was writing to counter... um, some people that were coming in and teaching these believers that they, they had to have Jesus plus something else. They had to be circumcised to be made right with God. And Paul was getting really cross at this kind of teaching that was telling these Christians that if they were going to be made right with God, they had to do something extra above and beyond what Jesus had done uh, on the cross, that they had to follow certain rules and regulations. And so Paul made these contrasts between religion on the one hand, rules and religion on the one hand, and relationship on the other. He made a contrast between circumcision on the one hand and Christ on the other, or between a righteousness from ourselves, making ourselves right with God by our own efforts on the one hand, or a righteousness from God on the other. And he compared and contrasted these different things in, these, in the profit and loss. And then he said, as we looked at last week, he said, look, if we're going to depend on human effort, I can outdo every one of you um, because I have followed the law. I have been a Pharisee. I have studied uh, from uh, being a small child. Um, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. And he, he puts all of these things in his plus column and he, he says, actually, they, they profit me nothing. 
all those things which I used to think were so important to be made right with God, all those rules I used to follow, the religion, the religious aspect of my life, I now consider all of those things to be rubbish, to be dung, to be excrement, to be loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul pivots everything around Jesus. And he says, what, what I really what I really want to know is I really want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings so that somehow I can attain to this resurrection from the dead. So, so Paul says all of these rules and regulations that will get you nowhere, what will really make you right with God is a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And that's what we, what we looked at last week and the fact that uh, Paul was so Christocentric. He was so Christ-centered. He, he said that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in Christ, that I might have faith in Christ, that I might know Christ. Um, remember he said earlier in his letter, he said, uh, I wanna, yeah, for me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. And so here he is in chains and he is writing to these believers and he's saying, look, Following rules and regulations and religion is going to get you nowhere, but having a relationship with Jesus, knowing Jesus, is what is going to change everything and change your lives. And he ends this passage that we looked at last week, he ends with this great proclamation, I I want to know Christ, I really want to know Christ. He's at the tail end of his life and his ministry, but he's still yearning to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. And we sang that song as we closed out our service last week. Give me Jesus. Just, you know, you can take all the world and, and even uh, as I'm approaching death, just give me Jesus. That was kind of what Paul was saying. And today in our passage, we pick up uh, with the line, uh, not that I have already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect. I, I'm not there yet. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. I want to know what it is to fellowship in his sufferings. I want to attain to the resurrection from the dead. But not that I've already obtained all this. I'm still a work in progress, Paul says. And uh, he, he looks at three things that I just want to look at with you this morning. Something to remember, something to forget, and something to aim for. Those are the three things that I, I want to look in at our passage today. Something to remember, something to forget, and something to aim for. Something to remember, first of all. This is what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this. Or, or have already been arrived at my goal, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In verse 14 he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There is a moment for many of us that we will remember where we encountered Jesus. For those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, uh, there was a moment where we encountered Jesus, where Jesus came into our life, where we put our faith in him. There was a moment for Paul where Jesus took hold of him. He said, I, I, he said I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. And he remembers as he's sitting there in this 
Roman jail, uh, in prison, in, in chains, he remembers that moment where Jesus Christ took hold of him. And it was on a road to Damascus, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 9. And it was when Saul was not a Christian, and uh, he was called Saul before he changed his name to Paul. And uh, we read in Acts chapter 9 the story of how Jesus took a hold of Paul and changed his life. His moment of encounter with God. And he's remembering that. I want to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. And uh, we read in Acts chapter 9, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, this Christian faith, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, which um, he wanted to do. As, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. And so Saul has this encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. Jesus takes a hold of him and, and blinds him with light from heaven. And he hears this voice and he goes into Jerusalem. And the Lord appears to this man, Ananias, in a vision and, and, and says, I want you to go to this man who's waiting and he's, he's fasting and he's praying. I want you to go to him, Ananias. And, and Lord, uh, verse 13 of Acts chapter 9, Ananias speaks to God and he says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. This man is bad news. He's been killing and capturing Christians. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. And he looks back to that moment where he encountered Jesus. And I don't know if you can remember today that moment. That moment, was it in your childhood? Can you remember a place? Can you remember a time, an encounter with God where Jesus took a hold of you? Where Jesus transformed your life and turned it around? I gave my life to Christ as a young child and I, I said that I wanted to follow Jesus. I remember being baptized at the age of 11 and, and being baptized in water and saying I wanted to follow Jesus. I remember going away to university at the age of 18 and leaving my parents' um, household and leaving my home church and saying I wanted to follow, follow Jesus. And I remember coming to Plymouth and, and saying I wanted to follow follow Jesus. There are moments where where Jesus has taken a hold of us and it's important to remember those moments. It's important to look back and to remember that Jesus took a hold of you for a reason, for for a heavenly calling, for for a calling on your life. There's a reason that he encountered you and and saved you so that you could do good works. And it's important to to remember those moments, to remember those early days, to remember how how Jesus uh, changed our lives. Think, think to the passage in Revelations chapter 2 
um, verses 2 to 5, where, where the Spirit of God is speaking through John to the, uh, the church in Ephesus this time. And he, he says this, um, he says, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You, you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. And sometimes, you know, there's, there's plenty of things that the Bible tells us to forget and to put behind us. But, but here Paul remembers. He said, I am, I am pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And, and he called me heavenward. He gave me these heavenly visions. He, he tasked me with reaching out to the Gentiles, those people that didn't know Jesus. I remember that sense of calling. I remember the blindness. I remember Ananias coming and praying for me and my eyes being opened. I remember the Spirit of God filling me. I remember that moment of encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. I remember his voice saying, why are you persecuting me? I remember that Jesus took a hold of me and he called me because he had a purpose for my life. And each one of us that have become Christ followers, there is a moment that Jesus took a hold of you because he had a purpose for your life. He had a calling for you. Do you remember that sense of calling? Do you remember that sense of excitement? Do you remember that sense of love for Christ or love for his family? And it's important that we look back and remember that. It's something that Paul remembers. It's something that he looks back on. Something to remember. And in looking forward, that's what he looks back to. He remembers that moment where Jesus impacted his heart. And for some of us, we had, those, we had dramatic moments. We had dramatic moments of transformation. Dramatic moments of conversion. Dramatic moments at the front of a church or in an auditorium. Dramatic moments on our knees. For others, it was more of a progressive coming to faith. Remember, I had a friend in Germany who was very scientifically minded and started to inquire about the Christian faith and read books and read C.S. Lewis and read different authors around faith and gradually walked his way into the kingdom of God and, and opened his heart to the things of Christ. We've all had different kinds of experiences. Not all of us had a Damascene kind of moment where we, where we encountered God in a dramatic way. But it is important that we remember that Jesus took a hold of us and he has prepared good work for us to do. And there is that sense of calling on our life. And even if you are at the older end of the scale or at the, at the tail end of your walk with the Lord or, or you've been doing this for, for, for decades, you, you, like Paul, can still look back and think, Jesus Christ took a hold of me for a reason. He saved my heart and my soul and my life for a reason. And I'm going to press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, like the Apostle Paul. It's important to remember that. Maybe to rediscover again that verve, that excitement, that love for Jesus that motivated you so greatly in those earlier years. Perhaps the Lord wants to revive that in you. And give you that back again, that fresh sense of vision and purpose. And we sometimes get that by looking back at where the Lord has brought us. Look what the Lord has done. Look how faithful he's been. Look how far he's brought you on this walk of faith. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Look what the Lord has done in your life. So something to remember, and that's what Paul does. I, I am, 
I'm pressing on but to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me back there um, for the reason that he called me heavenward. But there's something to forget as well. Paul is at the tail end of his life and ministry and there's certain things that he wants to put behind him. And he says in verse 13 and 14, chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of these things, this knowledge of Christ, this power of the resurrection, this fellowship in, of suffering. I've not yet fully attained to this. But forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. There is something to forget. Forgetting what is behind. Now you cannot change your past. You can't change it. You can't undo it. It's there. But there is a moment where God wants us to stop looking in the rearview mirror and he wants us to look forward at what he's got for us in the future. You can't change your past, but you can move into your future in the power and the mercy and the goodness of God. And there are certain things that we need to forget that are behind us. Sometimes it's an area of failure. Sometimes it's an area of sin. Sometimes it's a reliance on religion. You remember um, Peter. There's another character in the Bible. Luke chapter 22, verse 32. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked that he can sift you as wheat. Satan is out to take you down, Peter. But I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And after you have turned back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. And then we fast forward to a beach scene on the Sea of Galilee. And we've been there. We've been to Galilee. Imagine this scene of Peter walking with Jesus. He's made him breakfast. And, and Peter has messed up. He has denied Jesus three times. He has run away where he said, Lord, I will never leave you. Everyone else will leave you, but I will never leave you. I will never mess up. I, I'm right by your side, Jesus. And then the next moment, he denies Jesus. He runs away. He's afraid. He, he, and then Jesus looks at him. And, and the look in Jesus' eye as they make eye contact. And, and then on this, on this beach, there's a moment where Jesus says, I want you to stop looking back, Peter, now. And I want you to look forward. You messed up. You failed. You denied. But do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do what I'm calling you to do. And Peter put behind him the failures. Put behind him the mess ups. Put behind him where he, where he denied Jesus. And he went into a future of, of calling and following Jesus. And, and ultimately giving his life for Christ. And being a leader in the church. And and being used greatly by God. There was a moment where a line was drawn in the sand and Jesus said, that's over now. You need to leave it behind you and you need to move forward. And, and Paul says, forgetting what is behind. And, and for him, there were many things that were behind. There were religious practices. There were things that Paul had done that he deeply, deeply regretted, that were a stain on his conscience. He stood there while they stoned Stephen to death. He watched as they left their cloaks at his feet and as these big rocks were thrown at Stephen who was a, a, a man full of the Holy Spirit a Christ follower one of his ultimate his brothers in Christ Saul had that on his conscience that he stood by as they stoned Stephen to death he had on his conscience these Christians that he had persecuted and, and probably led to their death and imprisonment he, he had all of those things, the things that he did against the church of Jesus Christ. And, but he also had on his 
mind and in the past, he had all of his religious practices that he had relied on so heavily, his Pharisaic Hebrew past, his learning. And, and, but he said, forgetting all those things, the things that are behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to, to, for that which Christ has, has called me heavenward. It's time to move on and to leave things in the rear view mirror. I'll ask Emma to come up, and she just came. Emma, come join me. Um, she didn't know I was going to ask her to do this. So. But she just came to me with a little word before the service. She didn't know what I was preaching on this morning. She just said, Jeff, as I was driving to church this morning, I felt like I had a word, and this is it. And it, and it fits in very much with what I'm talking about there. So why don't you just share that, Emma? Thanks, Jeff. So I was just uh, driving in this morning, and um, I felt God like just... Um like imparted like a, a feeling on me um, of somebody trying to move forward but they're shackled by uh, maybe a bit of elastic or some chains or they're being held to something in their past and um, I had this real sense that he wants to bring a severance today um, so that we can move on into the fullness of what God has for us um, into a fuller relationship into everything that he wants us to be because actually for as long as we're held back here we're leaning back and we can't lead forward we can't press on we can't strain forward for what God's got for us thanks Emma so maybe today that's a word for you and it's time to move on and time to leave things in the rear view mirror you see those sprinters don't you on television and you see the way they are focused so much on the goal they don't look back they don't look at their fellow runners they are just straining towards that finishing line their eyes are bulging their, their muscles are straining they are just running for that end goal and and paul said forgetting what is behind forgetting it now it's over it's gone it's in the past it's time to draw a line and it's time to move forward and straining towards what is ahead. I press on. There is a, a phrase in the Bible, and it says, um, it says, don't ask, why were the old days better than these? <laughs> it's not wise to ask such questions. And uh, sometimes we can live in a sense of nostalgia. We can live in the good old days. We can live in the glory of the 80s or the 90s or what good God did back, back then. But, but this is... This is now, and this is our race now. And we are to forget what is behind. The good things as well, to a degree, to leave those behind us now, and God has got something for you that is ahead. And maybe it's time to sever those things today in uh, the spirit. So something to remember, we remember that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. Something to forget, which is what Paul does and strains onward. And something to aim for, something to aim for now. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on, he says that twice, I press on, towards the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Twice he says, I press on, I am moving forwards, and uh, I am going to win the prize. 
There's no melancholy nostalgia from Paul. He's still focused forwards. He still has a heavenly perspective to his life. He wrote to the Corinthians, didn't he, uh, on this theme of running to the people of Corinth. He said, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Run in such a way as to get the is to get the prize, Paul says. They run, these people who are training for these races that we know about in Corinth, they run to get a crown that will not last as a wreath of celery or whatever it was they put on their heads. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That's the prize that Paul had in his mind as he's straining forwards. We run to get a crown that will last forever. A Randy Alcorn, um, it is a man that has written much about heaven and about eternal perspectives. He formed a ministry with his wife called Eternal Perspective Ministries, EPM. And uh, he's written numerous books about heaven and about having an eternal perspective. Um, and he based his ministry on the passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, which says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that for far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's an eternal perspective to our lives. Things that we cannot see. The realm of spiritual reality. The truth of heaven. Last week, um, Randy Alcorn's wife died. Um, and he wrote these words in the last couple of days. His wife was called Nancy. He said, as of Monday morning, Nancy is with Jesus. So happy for her. Sad for us. But the happiness for her triumphs over the sadness. Grieving is ahead and it will be hard. But these last years, and especially this last month, have given us a head start on the grieving process. I'm so proud of my wife for her dependence on Jesus and her absolute trust in the sovereign plan and love of God. Nancy is and always will be an inspiration to me. I've spent the last two days with family and friends thanking God for his grace and the promises of Jesus that we will live with him forever in a world without the curse. And he will wipe away all the tears and all the reasons for the tears. And all God's children really will live happily ever after. This is not a fairy tale. It is the blood-bought promise of Jesus. We should not romanticize death. But those who know Jesus should realize that death is the gateway to never-ending joy. Grasping what the Bible teaches about heaven shifts our center of gravity and radically alters our perspective on life. This is why we should always seek to keep heaven in our line of sight. In 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped off Catalina Island, California, into the waters of the Pacific Ocean, determined to swim to the mainland 
As an experienced swimmer, she had already made history as the first woman to swim across the English Channel both ways. And the weather that day was foggy and it was chilly. And Florence could hardly see the boats that were accompanying her. Still, she swam steadily for 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken out of the water, her mother, in a boat alongside her, told her that she was close and that she could make it. But Florence, physically and emotionally exhausted, stopped swimming and she was pulled out of the water into the boat. It wasn't until she was on board that she discovered that the shore was less than half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about seeing now darkly. And the message version says this, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright and we'll see it all then. We'll see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. We need to trust steadily in God. We need to hope unswervingly. And we need to love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. And so Randy Alcorn, who's just lost his wife, says when you face discouragement or difficulty or fatigue or when you feel surrounded by the fog of uncertain circumstances, are you thinking, if only I could see the shore, I could make it. Set your sights on Jesus Christ, the rock of salvation. He is the one who promised to prepare a place for those who put their hope in him. A place where they will live with him forever. And if we can learn to fix our eyes on Jesus, to see through the fog and picture our eternal home in our mind's eye, it will comfort and energize us, giving us a clear look at the finish line. When the Apostle Paul faced hardship and beatings and imprisonment, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What gave Paul the strength and perspective to press on toward the goal? It was a clear view of heaven. He knew for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had a clear eschatology, a clear view of the end, of the end of what lay ahead. He, he knew that his hope was in heaven and so he was un. He had something to aim for. He had a finishing line. Eugene Peterson says that in church, we need both eschatology and geography. We need eschatology, the hope of the end time, to pull us forwards, to keep our aim forwards. He says that eschatology without geography is religious science fiction. We just kind of get these weird ideas about what's going to happen in the end. He says geography without eschatology becomes mere religious landscaping. We just live in the present, but we forget that there's an eternity to be won. He said we need both. We need eschatology and we need geography. He says without eschatology, the fishing line goes slack. 
And there is nothing pulling us to the heights, to holiness, to the prize of the high calling of Jesus. And to demonstrate this tension in pastoral ministry between geography and eschatology, the local and the now and the eternal, Eugene Peterson tells of a time where he was tired as a minister. It was just after Easter, he'd been through the Lent period. He'd had a particularly uh, demanding period of ministry and he was exhausted. And he came out of church on that Easter Sunday and he said to his wife, let's get out of here. But before he left, he said, I had to visit Murray in hospital. Murray, he said, was one of our more difficult church members and it was never a great joy to visit him. But I made my list of things that I had to do before I could escape, before I could go away to our camping trip on Assateague Island. And so he had his list, and he went to see Murray. And then when he had finished with Murray, he ticked off the last item on his list. I'm free. I can get out of here now. And he scrumpled up this list, and he threw it in the bin. And then he and his wife escaped, drove three hours, and enjoyed their time and that night as he was sleeping in a tent on an island uh, resting and recovering he said the Lord spoke to him in a vision in a dream and in this dream uh, a lady in his church had written a best-selling book and the best-selling book was called Lists and that some of you would think yeah that would be an amazing book (laughs) a book of lists a book about lists but he said what I realized he said The importance of this list that I had scrumpled up and thrown in the bin. The importance of the now, of the geography, the importance of the congregation, of this people in this place. And he needed to marry both that and the eschatology, the hope of the end, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of heaven, the hope of what will be. And he said, we hold these two in tension at all times, the here and the now, in the mess of congregation and the eschatological hope of the eternal life in the presence of God. Without eschatology, the fishing line goes slack and there is nothing pulling us to the heights, to holiness, to the prize of the high calling of Jesus. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me, Paul says. I'm not a great runner. I've never run a marathon, but I've run a few half marathons. There's a Plymouth half marathon coming up in June. I'm signed up to do a half marathon in London in October. But I remember running years ago, and I've told you this story before, but you get to that horrible bit at the end of the Plymouth half marathon where you have to run up to the Barbican. It's absolute torture. And you've run 12 miles, and you've got the last mile. And you are running up that hill, past the citadel. I remember running up that hill, thinking, I'm going to (laughs) die. I had nothing left, no juice in the tank. I was just crawling up that hill. And remember David, Pluckrose, and Joy, Pluckrose were there. And I remember I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. Keep going, Jeffrey, keep going. (laughs) You're nearly there. I forgave him for calling me Jeffrey. But I remember his voice and I remember the cry, keep going, you're nearly there. The shore is in sight. And when we see the fog of discouragement or the fog of everyday life, the tears of everyday life, there will come a time 
where there are no more tears, where there is no more suffering, where we are in the presence of Jesus. This is the hope that pulled Paul forwards. He said, I am straining. I am pressing on. I'm going to forget everything that's behind me, my religious credentials, my failures, my mess-ups, where I persecuted the church. I am pressing on to take hold of Christ Jesus because he took hold of me. And I know that he is able to keep that which I've committed until that day. And that is for each one of us to finish the race. And this is the great challenge of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. The band are going to join me now, and we're going to, we're going to sing in a moment. This, this, um, this crown that will last forever is made available to us because Jesus won it first. His is the victor's crown. His is the victory. He was the forerunner. He was the one who was raised first from death to life so that we could follow him, each one of us. If we commit our lives to Christ, if we put our faith in him, then we have the promise of eternal life. Rachel and Hamish reminded us of it at the start of our service today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if we believe in him, we will not perish, we will not die, but we will have eternal life. That is the promise that we have if we follow Christ. Shall we stand together now? And I'm going to pray for you. Why don't we follow up on that word from, from Emma? She just came to me at the, before the service, didn't know what I was preaching on. So it just felt that today that there's certain things holding people back that they needed to let go of, to sever, to move forward. And uh, I'd like to pray for you, if that's you today, to draw a line in the sand, forgetting, forgetting what is gone behind, forgetting it now, um, and straining towards what is ahead. It's a line in the sand moment that, that the Lord wants to just release you. And uh, like that runner, to focus on the finishing line and to run well. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name. You are the one that went ahead of us. You are the one that won the victor's crown. You are our forerunner you are the first fruits to be raised from the dead so that we might also attain to the resurrection of the dead we pray lord that we would leave behind us now forgetting what is behind forgetting what is behind i pray lord that you will cut off now and sever god that 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 elastic cord lord that is pulling people back and god that you will set them free to run the race that is marked out for them Father God, I pray that we will run with perseverance and hope in our heart, Lord God, and a lightness of step. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will strain forwards, press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ has taken hold of us. Father, I pray that you'll set us free to run well and to keep on going. For those that are tempted to give up, that we will have that, Lord, that eschatological pull Lord, that hope of heaven, that heavenly calling that, Lord, you have placed upon our lives. Let us run well, we pray, in the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ. In your name, amen.